the only thing that remains constant is you. And I feel like when you don't deal with the things that is within you and you don't identify the issues that are within you and you know and you love you, of course you're going to be affected by social media. Of course you're going to be affected by the Victoria's Secret models or of course you're going to be affected by who's getting the lead role in this this film or whatever you see because you're not good with you. It all starts with you. Yes, they are factors that influence, but forget that and focus on you. I think the root cause is that we the blame on social media. Social media is just a tool. How what you want to take from social media is what you want to take. What I take from social media is different from what you take from social media. But it's still the same tool, right? The difference is you. So if you focus and teach people and let them know that it's all about the self, then regardless of what's around them, that self is key. That understanding of self is key so they won't be as affected by whatever is going on around you. So I think the root cause is that we're not teaching that was Bissy Akins. Welcome back to another edition of the Harris Health and Mind podcast. What's up guys, welcome back to the Harris Health and Mind podcast. We're hosting an event on body image and today's podcast is going to be based around body image and colorism specifically. Today's guest we have Vanessa Buacci who's the founder of the Inside Out campaign and they provide creative mental health education workshops and events for young people. My other guest is Bradley Fleming. He has a charity, the Marama Foundation, a charitable organisation acting as a helping hand funding psychological and psychiatric care for vulnerable young people. And my last guest is my sister from One Place East. They promote equality inclusion for people with disabilities and lived experiences of mental health problems. First question um, we have for Charmaine and Brad, um, either or. Define colorism in your words. Uh, I think for me, colorism has evolved really. It used to be something that people only kind of looked at in communities of kind of black ethnicities. Um, but I think that's rapidly changing. Uh, and I'll talk about some of the ways I see that um, in, in my own communities. So I guess for me, it's more of a focus not on a person's race, but on a person's way of seeing their self in their own skin and at what lengths they'll go to be comfortable in their own skin. I pretty much agree with what you just said. Um, but I think obviously within different communities, it's gonna take on a different um, perspective. Um, the if you're in a community, for example, when we're looking at people of black skin tone, there's going to be slightly different to if you're looking at people with Asian skin tone. Um, if you're in Africa and the, if you're of a white skin tone and you're the, the lesser, um, or what's the word I'm looking for? Minority. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. um, the minority. I think everyone's going to have a, a slightly different perspective depending on um, their background. But mm. it can work. It can work against 
all backgrounds, I think, dependent on the community that you're in. Would that be from a, a discrimination point of view in terms of uh, the body image and also internally in terms of if you're speaking about a specific race, so Asian, black, um, or even the white community in terms of the image that they're either putting out to their community or the police in that community are putting out on specific races specifically? Yeah, I think it, it the the specific race um, it will affect specific races differently. You just mentioned like the whole police situation. Um, if we if we look at situations and how black people feel perceived um, by the police within within in a London, um, obviously that is a different situation to how Asian people are perceived within in a London. So the how you perceive colorism will be different dependent on your background yeah definitely yeah and also you go to certain parts of the country and like you know uh, i know a lot of people um that have spent a lot of time in asia and a lot of asian cultures the lighter you are the more rich you're perceived to be uh, and people will go to certain lengths to make sure, for example, they don't stay out in the sun too often or things like that just because they don't want to be perceived as, you know, um, they, they look at being tanned uh, or being a certain type of colour as actually being um, unwealthy or a peasant. or So there's all those things to consider as well as what Brad was saying. Mm. And just want to touch on uh, the race issue as well. I mean, I'm here with you guys at the podcast in Ilford and drove over a roundabout with a police vehicle behind me. Four cops come out and basically stopped this Asian guy, um, patting him down, checking him. And again, um, it can also be in terms of your your image that a police officer or officers look at you in the way that you dress as well. I think that comes into it um, quite a lot. I and mean, he was in a hoodie, tracksuit bottoms, Air Maxes, and literally the cop car was following me for about two miles and then just all of a sudden just got out and just, you know, checked this guy. And this must be happening on a regular occurrence. Um, just moving forwards to another question we have. Do you feel like it affects men or is it just an issue with w women in most of their experiences in terms of the body issues and the perception of um, the the media side of things on on what body image sort of entails. Um, I think just talking about um, body image in terms of males and females, it, it affects both. the The concentration is predominantly, I would say, within the media, we're looking at it towards how it affects females, um, but we can't disregard that the effect that um, the media, social media, etc., is having on. Um, on males, especially young males, um, we're seeing a, a, a tendency for for the need to be muscly. Um, it's becoming more and more um, the way to be. And um, I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, and just picking up on the colorism stuff, I think what you just said about being in the, you know, looking through your rear mirror and being able to see what was going on for all that young Asian boy. In terms of colour, we would look at that and say someone is more of a target, you know, being a certain colour and a certain gender. And if we look at this, the demographics of that within black communities, 
it's much more in in the limelight for men, you know, particularly a certain age group of men that may be perceived, you know, as a target, stop and search, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, let's be real, there's a lot of Islamic, like you say, in this community, there's a lot of Islamic young boys um, and they're targeted purely, you know, because of a, a religion that they believe in. So there's lots of things that colorism brings in for people for men particularly but a lot of people just see this as an issue that affects primarily women i think men don't talk about it so they have other ways of dealing with it so our statistics show that the 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 colorism is affecting more women but actually there's probably men out there that are not reporting yeah and i think that that probably goes back to um sort of the age-old tale of um, man up, get on with it. Um, You know, the the standard, um, you know, don't let things or don't let words affect you, just get on with it, be, you know, be a man. Those stereotypical things that probably um, particular parents put upon people subconsciously stay with them for, you know, years on years until it maybe becomes a hit and people have an effect where they have to burst out and all the emotion comes flooding out. Um, I just have another question on, and this is going to be directed to, to sort of women that you touched on, Sham. Um, what do you think the risks of skin bleaching are and why do you think they're so popular in women specifically? I think it's a good question for Vanessa. Um, I guess for, it's really I guess I I am not of a darker skin, so I'm of a medium skin complexion. I'm mixed race, so I guess perhaps I wouldn't answer this in the best way. I can only answer it from, you know, speaking to other women, you know, within my family or my friend circles of a darker skin than me. And again, it goes back to what we said earlier, and it's kind of the insanity of the society we're living in where there's a certain image that everybody's trying to compete to get to. So I think that plays a big role and people will do whatever they have to do to become the idealist. So um, I can't speak of a first-hand experience because I haven't been in the position of having to bleach my skin. But have I dyed my hair yet? And it's not the same extreme. I guess the thing is the companies that are putting this stuff on the market and marketing it in such a way that it's no big deal that it's okay to do this so the more women that are doing it the more the younger generations are coming up and are seeing this within their families and are thinking it's the norm yeah and that sort of almost goes to um something that happened a few years ago i can't remember what uh company did it in the end there was a photo shoot with Beyonce and they changed sort of her body weight photoshopped out a body weight and changed um the skin tone and I think for you Brad um just sort of coming on to this you're you're of a darker you know mm-hmm. skin to myself and, and my sister Charmaine why do you think these messages are getting sent out um either if they're consciously and deliberately sort of put out into the open whether it's uh, skin bleaching, photoshopping, and then photoshopping darker or light skin, whether it's sunbeds, um, you know, to then six-minute tanning spells. Why do you think these things are then pushed out 
um, upon, let's just say, women. I know there is men that obviously mm -hmm. bleach their skin and you know get suntans and obviously do Photoshop, but let's stick on that um, women's side of things. Why do you think that is pushed out in the media so much? To, to start with, before I answer the question fully, yeah. I just want to talk about a situation. I was in uh, Ghana about maybe five or six years ago. Um, and I remember I've, I've rocked up. It's my first time in Africa. I'm really excited. And on my journey down to the airport, I see this massive, or from the airport, I see a massive billboard talking about skin bleaching products. Now, it's not something that I've really been accustomed with, obviously, at home. Um, obviously, I've got friends um, and family who are, who are black but I grew up in a, a predominantly white area. So it was all pretty new to me. And I was traveling with my girlfriend at the time who was white and her family. So it, it affected me quite a lot. Obviously didn't show it yeah. out, um, but it affected me quite a lot to think, what is going on in this society where we need to, or people are thinking that they need to be brighter or a lighter skin tone than they are? Obviously, Sham talked about the, 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 the richness aspect of it or how it seemed to be that if you are lighter, you're of a, a better wealth. Um, in Africa, I think that's of the same, the same concept. Um, and in the Caribbean as well. Um, we've seen it a lot in Jamaica now. I watched a documentary about it the other day. Um, it's becoming a, a normal thing where people are putting their bodies through extreme stresses um, through the bleaching process. But I, me personally, I don't understand why, because I don't think I've ever thought about it personally. The issue is, um, it's causing people damage as well. Yeah, and a lot of these, um, I probably I go as far to say, ninety percent of these um, boxes or products that you can probably go and get in your local supermarket. Um, are causing some serious issues, whether that's um, either internally, externally, to the skin, um, psychologically. I don't think there's been a lot of testing done on these types of products. And the fact also as well, I, I wouldn't go as far to say that a lot of these so-called celebrities probably haven't even had the stuff that's been posed to other people via social media you know you get a box and you could probably get in like you said and spoke about in Ghana you can probably mm -hmm. get, get your local shop for I don't know ten dollars or whatever it is at that you know at that time you're not gonna get the same effects if someone let's say like Beyonce if she ever did get a tone of skin or darker skin or did want to go lighter she's gonna go to someone in the field that's probably studied something for yeah, but she's not going to be spending five years. pounds, she's ten not pounds, be spending 10 on, pounds a cream. on a product. Yeah. So the way that we internalize and sort of subject ourselves to um, products that may either get promoted by these quote unquote celebrities or influencers online, the way that we internalize a need or a want to use this, but actually to then go as far in our minds to psychologically think this product that I'm about to purchase and use on my own skin or to you know, lighten or darken my skin is actually gonna be the same product of 
that influence is used or, you know, this other influence is used. I think it's very, very difficult to say, you know, it's going to be something that's going to lighten or darken your skin. I think there's got to be regulations on it. I don't know the, the facts, but there must be people that... Um, suffer psychologically i think there was a program on channel four not so long ago i don't know if you saw it the mm -hmm. two sisters that were um obsessed with sun tanning and they were pretty much no i didn't see it uh, you know dark i know orange, people like that though but they were very <laughs> dark orange and uh, one thing that sort of stuck me and i was watching it and there was uh the person who was asking the questions was saying just a very simple question sort of why do you you know why do you tan yourself and the girl couldn't come up with an answer. She just said it's become such a habit that mm -hmm. I go every Wednesday, go and get an like eight-minute tan or whatever it was and, and just keep going every Wednesday. And I think she's done it for the last 17 years and she is very, very orange. And she said, I know it's probably killing my skin and it's yeah, really it's, dangerous not, for me, but I can't, I can't get out of this habit. And I think that's really interesting to see that maybe something we're looking at on our phones or our TV screens of a particular, you know, colour of someone is, like you spoke about, wealth, beauty. I think that mm. needs to be sort of, yeah, sort of touched upon. I think, I think if, you, if you go back over the years and, and think of what the images of beauty that have been portrayed through the media have been, if we go back to the 50s, 60s, beyond, it's always been of a, a, a thin blonde white woman until we get to maybe in more recent times if we think back to your people like your Audrey Hepburns and all these people that are portrayed and beamed into homes across the world they're put up in lights as this is the ultimate woman or the or the person you should aspire to be so I think the more that image is in is put into your mind and ingrained into your mind we all start to think, oh, okay, so I've got to get like that to be, for want of a better word, success, to mm. be a success or to, to get the admiration that this person's getting, whether it be in their their business or their, their career or from the other sex. Mm. Um, and I think that plays a, that has played a role throughout the years. We probably are getting better now. But I think it is definitely there. Excellent. Vanessa's joined us. Hello, Vanessa. Hello. <laughs> cool. Uh, we're going to take a little break and um, we'll put in a little clip from one of our guests at today's event. Colorism for me is just really sad. I've, I've, I've actually cried. I've never been to Africa before and I've cried. Um, and I thought I can't wait to, till my feet touch the soil of my ancestors. I'm so emotional about it. But I was raised by white people and so my perception of black people was that they were everything that the media told me. They were thugs, yobs, idiots, delinquents. They don't matter in society. And in Africa, there are no schools. They walk to get water, and there's always flies around them. I believe that up until about 16, uh, when I came to, but when I, so, I, but I did fantasize about being black because of course, I was around white people. I couldn't wait. I moved to London under awful uh, uh, circumstances, but once I got there, I was like, yes, I'm black. Oh my God, okay, okay. Um, how do I stick my hair? How do I do it? Maybe hairs or maybe hairs. I don't know. Um, but then when I went to school, I realised that my black isn't accepted. I was like, what? I wait so long to be a part of you lot. Um, because everyone wanted to be light-skinned. I was just like, rah. 
I waited so long to be one of you lot, and now you're telling me I'm not one of you lot because I, I, I'm not brown. I'm dark-skinned and I like it. Okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. Uh, my mum had her own self-image issues, and so she bleached a lot. So that made my mind go skewed. I'm like, why does everyone want to be lighter? And I couldn't understand why, because I'm just like, I've, I've waited so long to be black. <laughs> this is really, really disappointing. Then makeup came around, 16, 17, because, you know, I don't want to look cute some way. <laughs> and um, I, couldn't, I couldn't find my foundation. I was using that Maybelline matte mousse for like two shades oh, too light. Like, yeah. Walking around looking like Ashy. You know, <laughs> 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 ah, you're right, yeah. My grey face. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm about Mac. Mac, I don't like them anymore, but Mac was really good back in the day. Anyway, uh, so I waited so long to be black, and black people didn't accept me. I was like, so what? So should I stay white then? Because I don't, I don't really know. Am I, am I mixed race now? I don't know. <laughs> um, what's up, guys? Vanessa has kindly joined us. Um, we were sort of speaking off air, and Vanessa brought up the issue with a artist, I think she's called Spice, who highlighted a campaign to do with colorism. Vanessa, do you just want to speak on that topic and let everyone know? Yeah, sure. So this was something that I came across on social media. And as usual, you know, with social media, there's so many things that's going on, but this in particular really stood out to me. So um, she, it's a, she's a dancehall artist called Spice. And what she did was a campaign. And in the campaign, um, so no one knew that this was going on. None of her friends, none of her family members knew that this was going on, apparently anyway. Um, so she literally came across as if she'd bleached her skin. Um, and we all know that, or for those of you who do know Spice, she's dark skinned. So in the music video, she was literally like light. She was white basically. Mm. And she had blonde hair. She had that, you know, that look. And um, everyone was commenting on those, um, you know, in the videos and the pictures saying, oh my gosh, look what Spice done. She bleached her skin. She did this, she did that. And then about, I think it was like a week or so later, um, she came out um, with another picture of her and she was back to her normal dark skin self. And she came to explain how when she was younger, it was something that, you know, people used to um, attack her with by saying that she's dark, she's ugly because of her, um, the, the shade of her skin. And that was something that she really wanted to um, empower other young ladies, other young dark ladies to know that it doesn't matter what you know shade your skin is, whether you're dark skin, whether you're light skinned, you know, we're all beautiful. So with that message that she brought across, it was really something that, you know, it definitely resonated with me and it was definitely something that I think um, more and more people who are in the limelight, people who do have, you know, um, that power who are celebrities more and more people should you know jump on and um, create awareness around mm, i thought that was very very interesting um in terms of sham you might know um yeah I, I know you want to jump on in terms of obviously the the bleaching side of things as well um do you want to speak about the image in in terms of like hair extensions and you know the facade of wanting to get um the, the colour or the African hair, even if that's from sort of white ladies or from black ladies wanting to get white hair or Asian hair. Do you want to speak on that topic? Because I know that was one of the things that we spoke about. Yeah, and I think it's really important because I was listening to Vanessa and one prominent thing she said was the word that Spice was trying to get the look. And I think it's important. I was really curious to know in Vanessa's mind, what's the look? 
because I think it's really important because a lot of people are trying to get the look and then they get so lost in getting the look that they don't even know what's happened to their self or how they look anymore. So yeah, can you can you enlighten us on what is that look that young people, because I'm, no, I'm not young anymore, what is that look, Vanessa? First and foremost, you are still young. <laughs> um, and in terms of the look, personally, this is not something that I believe is the look, but based on, you know, speaking to people, based on um, social media, what's out there, the image that people want to look like. Um, something that I've seen is, you know, in terms of look-wise, long hair, um, you know, um, being light-skinned, because supposedly that's what the guys like. They want lighter skin you know um counterparts and maybe perhaps from things that i've heard anyway from um dark skin males the reason why they do go for the you know the lighter um females because um, something that i've heard is because they want their children to be lighter skin as well and they don't want their children to go through some of those battles that you know um they went through as dark skin people but then again that causes that conflict because you're not really loving yourself and you're not portraying that message to you know um to other young people there but in terms of that look, I guess, um, as I mentioned, is not what I believe is the look, but you know, stereotypically, it's that you know that long hair that sways, that's easy to you know comb, easy to you know brush through, um, having that light skin, that body as well, that hourglass figure. Nowadays, everyone, well, some most people are going through extreme measures to know get their bodies in particular ways and that all ties into some of the things that we are seeing um online as well mm. does that answer your question yeah, yeah. And i think that um i think that look as well is very hard to contextualize and internalize at times because it's messages that are subconsciously given to us through media whether that be you turn on and watch the breakfast show in the morning and sort of seeing what those people that are on the shows look like in terms of their skin tone or again sort of generically their hair their body figure I think all of those things are posed all of the time subconsciously to us whether it's job roles that we go to um, how you've got a or how it's perceived you've got to look for certain types of job roles and why you've got to look like that to fit in to be in that specific space I think it's all of those things are sort of tied into one. And then like Vanessa spoke about as well, if, you're, if you don't really understand yourself and know how you feel and sort of appreciate and love, I think the word you use, Vanessa, love yourself, it's going to be easier for you to sort of stray and sort of chase that look um, as opposed to knowing what you want to look like yourself. That's from my perspective anyway. Yeah, and I was just thinking like me and Vanessa are sitting in, the middle of a guy <laughs> so everything like Vanessa was saying I was sat and nodding because to a degree like I, I've been a part of that as well you know I think we all have in our own ways like I've tried to you know um I've got natural hair now but I spent lots of years like trying to straighten my hair relax it do whatever I had to do to get rid, rid of the frizz and like you say sometimes you don't know that what you're doing to yourself is like maybe losing the roots of who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think with time and growth, like it's hard to not always like who you are. We've all got a past, you know, and 
when there's something out there saying, yeah, but you can aspire to be this, it's easy to kind of jump on that train that everybody else is on. But I wonder how, what do you think about what Vanessa said about a lot of the guys that talk about, you know, as a black man, them not wanting their children to grow up and, you know, perhaps experience some of that stigma due to color and that, Brad, what do you think? Um, you're right. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is, this is, this is, it's true. I think, um, I've heard it. I've probably even said it myself, um, at times, um, through my growing up, etc. Um, it's funny. My, my mum said to me the other day, she goes, I'm going to find you a nice black girl. And you know what? That resonated with me. Mm. That obviously maybe my own not perceptions but she was obviously maybe aware of something that I wasn't aware of in terms of maybe what I'm looking for in terms of myself I think it's because I've always I've grown up around in a predominantly white environment I've um, I went to a school of 1800 people and I still live within that community so of all females that I've been involved with majority have been of a lighter skin tone um i think it's an environment thing more than my personal prejudices but i can't i can't say for definite there probably is the the social influences have impacted my thought process along the line Mm, for sure and i think that a lot of like your mum said in terms of i'm going to find you you know uh, a nice black girl and stuff Mm. In America, they call them queens, don't they? Black, black girls, they call them, I'm going to get you a queen. Um, and I think for you, it's maybe something in terms of that connection side of things. Maybe you are um, looking, or not specifically, subconsciously or consciously looking for someone who can understand you on that connection level mm-hmm. and the struggles that you've maybe gone through. Mm-hmm. And that's probably easier for you to personalise with someone who's maybe had similar types of struggles to you than, um, again, let's just say, you know, a, a white girl. I mean, I'm dating for six years and am still dating, a, you know, a white girl and she can't sort of understand the struggles that I've been through or had to be through growing up, you know, white sister. So there's lots of different battles going in, in and out and, and in between and the environment side of things that you touched on. Um, there's a couple of things that I can remember as well from, from working in schools and being in schools and that sort of relates back to you, Sharm, in terms of you trying to, you know, relax your hair and stuff. There's a lot of schools now sort of where we are. I don't know if it's a similar situation in London, but won't allow mixed race girls or dark skinned girls to have afros or to have their natural hair. Natural hair. You have got, or even or men that want to grow afros. It's a case of you've got to have your hair set in a specific structure. And when you were speaking about sort of the environment and sort of that maybe, you know, 1800 people at your school and use probably a few only mixed race and and black men there, I think that then does start to dwindle on you and you do think, well, hang on a minute, I've got to fit in or, you know, why have I, you know, I don't, I don't look like these people. What, what do I need to do to fit in? And that's when a lot of stuff does come into it. Just want to get your, your views on that, Vanessa. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting, especially um, you mentioned that there's some schools that don't allow um, their 
the young people to come in with you know afros or braids or etc i think that's uh, i've seen a lot of that happening in america um i'm not sure if it happens does it happen in the uk has it been happening in the uk yeah there's a couple of yeah in essex yeah there's in essex yeah there's yeah there's loads there's even a white boy who i coach who Mm. who had braids um in the half term Mm. he goes to a private school and then takes them out before he goes in because they weren't allowed oh wow that's that's very concerning that's really concerning in my opinion and i think it's mainly from from what i can see it might be due to the lack of awareness about the culture and a lack of awareness about what it signifies and the reason why we do certain things and i know ignorance does play a huge part of it part in it as well so um like the first thing that just comes to my mind now is just if you know someone who doesn't have afro hair or have braids they definitely would not understand what afro hair is about what it signifies so if they woke up one day and their hair was you know bushy and out to them that probably you know symbolizes that my hair is messy i need to you know comb it out i need to straighten it i need to flatten it i need to do this so it's just that lack of awareness they i don't know i feel like the people who are making those rules and putting those things in place, they haven't used their brains to think about what is what you know what it signifies and what it means to people. And it's, it's really disheartening for me to hear that. Um, and I think if I had a child who was part of a school and they told my child to not come with Afro hair, I will also rock up to that school with my Afro hair as well. And then we will cause a scene <laughs> in that school because it's just, it's just absurd. Like you were in 2019, come on. The internet is, you know, readily accessible. You can do research and find out why the person's hair is like that. It's, it's, it's innate, it's part of our culture. It's, it's us, it's in mm. our DNA. It's normal. It's normal. <laughs> But um, I have a real big thing about this because I do a lot of work in schools. And one of the things that I say is, you know, you'll try and speak to the head teachers about really subtle things that can really cause, you know, problems for young people, like constantly being targeted, like you say, for your hair, for other things. I feel like it's a part of social constructionism. I feel like things are happening to people you know, for a certain reason, you know, particularly in demographics where if you are a minority, you're not going to rock up at the school because you're not going to, you know, you're going to be worried that by rocking up at the school, the child might go, well, mum, please don't. I mean, I think it's fantastic for parents that do, but there are a lot of parents that don't. And this is, there probably won't be many head teachers listening to this, but this is where I think self-education comes in because what they can't teach you at university is values. They can't teach you to understand socially your community, people's roots, people's identities. And I think that's really important. We've lost social skills within one another. So if the school can't kind of accept children from their roots, where they come from, learn a little bit about the kind of children that are in their school, what hope have we got left for them when they're, you know, looking at going into colleges, universities? We did a big thing, you know, um, about how elitist some of the universities are and how hard it is for certain black people, particularly uh, black boys, to get into something like Oxford University if they've not been to, 
you know, a certain school. It's virtually impossible, even if they have been kind of privately educated. So I do think that a lot of it is kind of, we could talk for it for, about it for hours, but I think it then goes back onto the onus of the parents or the young people feeling like, again, they're being marginalised. Go on, Brad. Um, the the, the marginalised thing... Um, definitely. Um, just, I keep going back to my upbringing again. Um, there was a lot of times where I did things where I felt like I needed to fit in and maybe change my behaviour because I felt like I needed to fit in. And what, what we realise, we, we become products of a society. We're all social beings, right? We want to feel wanted. Yeah, you always want to feel included. You want to feel that someone accepts you for who and you are. I think at a young age, it's actually quite easy to forget about who you are to fit into a, a group or a, or a construct to, to have friends that you... That, because we want to be wanted mm. because we're social beings. Um, I definitely fell into that category. Um, I think fortunately for me, I was in a... Um, an environment that sort of I was pushed um, well my mum pushed me sort of academically and things and I was able to go and do what I wanted um, so I wouldn't say I was particularly marginalised in that sort of aspect but I can definitely see how it how it happens how it occurs mm. and, and how much um, going back to again the environment side of things how much from a, a parent's perspective you, you said you were pushed academically how much is that the onus sort of back onto the parents then to then say to the child or the children look your school's clearly not allowing you to you know look like this don't lose where you're coming from to then like you're sort of giving examples of you being pushed but to then instill in that individual individuals that they are part of this family part of this community this is what it means to us don't take that away don't let anyone take that away from you how how important is that from the parent to sort of instill that into them so they don't lose sight of again their roots or who they are as they're growing up mm. yeah i think it's is really important and it that some of the things that we all know that the things that you learn as you know a child um, when you're growing up that definitely creates that framework to as to how you interpret the world and interpret things as you um, become older and I think even just to add upon um, Brad's point so I was also you know pushed academically as well even though I'm from the hood you know <laughs> in that east london that I, where i live in newham or where i lived anyway in newham i was surrounded by a lot of culture so in terms of being marginalized i didn't really experience that until after university because even at university i went to university in leicester and there was still a lot of culture there as well mm. so it was only until i actually stepped into the um no the professional world where i started to experience that marginalization and i think that home upbringing is so important home education is so fundamental because you know at school you're learning you're not getting that holistic education so some of the things that you know you learn from home the things that your your parents 
teach you, installing that work ethic in you, is not just for you know your childhood. It creates that um, understanding to how you do things in the future as well. So I definitely agree with um, what Brad said with, you know, how, you know, parents do have, you know, a, a huge part to play. Um, and the things that we learn, the things that we learn from, you know, our, our families, our cultures and everything, it, it really, it really does make a difference. But at the same time, we do have, you know, as we grow up, we do have that responsibility to, you know, take the things that we've learned and use them for, for sure. good. I just want to say something. I know we've got to move on to another topic, but I think you would really be able to relate to this, Reese. I think we grew up, or I can only say for me, I grew up with only one side of my culture. So it was very, although my mum tried at certain parts, it was very hard for her to install my origins from me, from, you know, the the side the black side of me I'll just be open and say it it was very hard for my mum you know my mum may have been in relationships with black men and surrounded by their families and whatever but she wasn't a black woman you know and I'm I'm half a white woman and I'm half a black woman so you know equally for anybody within these situations we we have our own struggles as well and I think that's one of the things I would say I would really envy um, you know, of not having that, you know, also on my dad's side, they're all boys, so there was no black aunties as well. Mm. And I think that is important, exactly what you were saying, both of you, because we didn't, well, I can't speak for my brother, but I definitely feel that I didn't have that. I had to go and educate myself on that, you know, and reconnect with that side of my family, because although my mum did a, you know, good job at trying to raise us the best she could, she wasn't the other side of the color of what I am. So she couldn't relate to my struggle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it was a case of um, when we were very younger in uh, where we grew up in Essex, there was only, a, I think, five or six black kids at our school. So it was very evident that you would struggle in certain situations. But for me, I think it was a case of um, I didn't really get that from sort of my dad's side. It was more of a case of seeing things that happened to me through situations that happened. So whether that be, um, again, uh, getting spoken to in a specific tone or getting told to tone my voice down or being told that I'm being too aggressive. Um, there was a lot of that sort of stereotype that I knew that the individual that was talking to me, or again, if it was a head teacher at a school, would speak to me completely different to my friend who got in trouble, let's say, um, for when I was at school. And I took that and I understood that at a very young age that that was probably either ignorance on their part, um, maybe some bias, again, towards race. But then I sort of understood that and knew that there were going to be the struggles when I was growing up. So I just had to move forwards in terms of um sort of how we act and how um again sort of i feel on the body image side of things i think that's similar to what you said sham it, it's very difficult because obviously we grew up with you know a white mum a white sister um mum had white boyfriends and stuff around when we were growing up but i don't feel that it disadvantaged me in, in that sense, I feel like I knew exactly from a young age how to 
get out of certain situations. So it wasn't a case of, um, I don't know, being marginalised in, in some situations. But that's from my personal experience anyway. Um, sort of moving forwards on the next question we had on body image. Sham, you can probably jump onto this one as well. Um, what what do you think the subliminal messages of body image are and and how they're coming across to people? Um, I think it's going to be interesting. It might be good for one of our panellists, actually. But I think for me, um, again, a little bit what I spoke about earlier, gone are the days where we just watch the TV. Advertising is all around us. Mm. And I think advertising plays a big role. I think it's, there's big money making in this stuff. So where there's money making in this stuff, it's hard for you to try to argue against some of the stuff that happens because it is done in such an uh, it's okay way. Like it's okay to be this way way. And it, it really actually infuriates me because it's harder to try to fight against something that actually a lot of us are easy to buy into based on what our brains are being sold every day of the week, jumping onto a tube, going to work, taking our kids to school. You know, it's absolutely everywhere. It's on cereal boxes. It's on, it's on everywhere. So, you know, how we, we can't take on the world. So how do you deal with this? With subliminal stuff, it's happening everywhere. What do you guys think? Um, subliminal, yeah, the subliminal messages is all around us. Mm. As I, I told you about my journey on the tube yesterday, I'm not used to it. Um, but I took in things that I didn't realise I took in until I got home and I was thinking about it in bed last night. I was like, oh yeah, I saw that on the tube. Mm. Um, it is all around us and we, we, we take it in without knowing. And I guess from a, um, from a psychological point of view, they know this, the people who are putting it out there. Um, so they they have people working for them that know um, what colours to use, where to put it, how many times these people need to see it for it to be ingrained into 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 the brain. Um, so I think it's a difficult thing to to beat because when we're going across our normal lives, we're not thinking about that. We've got quote unquote more important things going on than to think about the messages that are subliminally being fed to us. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely something that's so hard to manage. And, you know, we can we can't control what's going on outside because they're going to continue to do these things. And it's I think the important part comes down to, um, you know, teaching young people, teaching everyone um, the this awareness um, of what's going on and also implementing self-identity, self-worth, because at the end of the day, what they are trying to teach us is that we are not perfect. There's always more that we need. Um, you know, we need to have more of this, more of that. We need to change this, change that. And that feeling of not being complete is what makes us want to buy more so at the end of the day they are winning and the only way that we can try in some way shape or form to combat that and to go against that is just you know by installing that self-love within ourselves and understanding that you know we we can't be perfect 
we are you know we are ourselves for a reason we have our own purpose on this earth we're meant to you know try our best to utilize that rather than you know focusing on the things that we don't have focusing on the the good things that we can do and that we are able to do 100 mm, percent agree and i think i'll go as far as to saying as well that you've got to understand that you're always going to have you know imperfections and those imperfections add to who you are on a consistent basis daily um, and that makes up your makeup essentially um, so very well put Vanessa we're just going to listen to one of our guests from the event as well stay tuned I would agree but then also disagree I think the root cause is always down to the self regardless of what is outside what like you said you can't really control what's outside but you can control what's inside and everything starts with yourself. You're born alone, you're going to die alone. Yes, social media and other things um, have influence and can aid it. Let's say, for example, I, I was doing research about like social media and stuff and just people's perceptions of it. And we were, we're always going to be self-conscious about certain things because so many things are going on around us consistently all the time. Things are changing, trends are ch ch changing. Lots of things are changing, but the only thing that remains constant is you. And I feel like when you don't deal with the things that is within you, and you don't identify the issues that are within you, and you know and you love you, of course you're going to be affected by social media. Of course you're going to be affected by the Victoria's Secret models, or of course you're going to be affected by who's getting the lead role in this in this film or whatever you see, because you're not good with you. It all starts with you. Yes, they are factors that influence. But forget that and focus on you. I think the root cause is that we we kind of just throw the blame at social media. Social media is just a tool. How what you want to take from social media is what you want to take. What I take from social media is different from what you take from social media, but it's still the same tool, right? The difference is you. So if we focus and teach people and let them know that it's all about the self, then regardless of what is around them, that self is key. That understanding of self is key, so they won't be as affected by whatever is going on around you. So I think the root cause is that we're not teaching our young people, we're not focusing laying as much emphasis on the importance of self, and we're blaming the tools around us. That was Bissy Akins. You'll now listen to a couple of clips from Mojo speaking about body weight and family members, and also the importance of good family around you and the way you speak to children at a young age? I don't get this much anymore, but when I was younger, um, I had a lot of family members commenting on my body and my weight and stuff like that. So how do you, how do you respond to people who comment on your body? <laughs> Unfortunately, we internalise it a lot, but what it really would come back to is what Bissy said about it just make, using that, what they say, to, to make you aware. I just... because. What I don't get about Nigerians, right, <laughs> is that my mom had a problem with, ah, Josie, you have put on too much weight, so the, the stomach is too big. But she always ever fed me with rice. So I'm just, for me, it's just like, where were you going with the advice, Nikki? Because I don't really see it going anywhere. <laughs> and, um, and so unfortunately, I internalised a lot of it. But now, I just think that, my mum, me and my mum wore the same clothes. We wore the same clothes. I stole all her shit. When she kicked me out, I felt covered jeans still. So, um, so uh, there's, there's not much you can do because that's the culture. That that that's what happens back home. To, it happens to you, me, her, all of us. It's something that happens collectively, I guess. Even in Nigerian, African, Jamaican, Indian, 
focus on where you may be from. That's the culture. And then once you get to a certain age, a lot of these aunties that comment, I do see you're, you're so big now. Wow, you're really big. Um, they're big themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, well, eventually I'm going to end up like you, so I'm just trying to beat the process, really. Um, so try, you just you, let it make you aware, perhaps, uh, but don't let it affect you or internalise it or anything because it's just their view of the world. Yeah. And that awful critic that, that lives um, so loudly in my head is the voice of my mother, unfortunately. And then going, you know, uh, going into other people's homes and seeing how they speak to their children is very concerning. Because what you say to your child about their body, the face, the size, the weight, the shoes, the clothes, the homework, whatever it is that they do, will eight, eight, you know, years down the line when they're at university struggling with something, oh, I'm so dumb, I'm so dumb, I'm so useless. It, it, it's what you said echoing again in their mind. So that's so it being self and it not just being social media. It really is what you allow because actually yeah, I don't really follow women that make me feel self-conscious, so you're very, very right. Um, but that sense of self comes from your parents, but th that, I think it's developmental trauma when you don't have what you need those first 12 years of your life. I, I was raised with no identity. Um, I thought that my mum was black and my dad was white because I didn't know that black people had hands like this. I didn't know what my elbows looked like. I was like, why am I elbow? Why am I always dark? <laughs> um, and then I came to London and saw people that like me, so yay. But um, yeah, I think it also comes down to, to, to some really, really conscious and attentive parenting for that sense of self to be strengthened so that social media and what you see around you doesn't affect you. Because just, I don't want to go on, but my best friend is here, love her to death. Um, despite all these things in social media, social media, social media, whatever you want to call it, uh, her mum and dad taught her to love her blackness and she loves her dreadlocks. She loves everything about the colour of her skin and even wishes that she was uh, darker, and we, we had conversations about that, and I was like, oh, wow, so your mother had really invested in you to love yourself as you are. Hmm. That would have been nice. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so also just conscious parenting. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Hopefully you've taken something away from today's podcast, either from one of our guests or panellists on the show. I'm going to leave you with a short clip from Bissy Aikins regarding Selfie, which is a young, gifted initiative to help women. Stay tuned for more podcasts to follow. See you soon. Peace. So in regards to selfie, your eyebrows mean your frame of mind. It's good to have your self-belief in check, but if you're not thinking the right way, your frame of mind is kind of off, so things don't really work. And then concealer. Tell me about concealer. What does concealer do? It hides concealer. It kind of hides the blemishes and just the things that you have, the imperfections that you have, right? And the way in which I apply that to your real life is your... Is, is how you deal with things. So you identify the flaws that you have and you, you start to deal with them. And then we go into our contour. Contour basically chisels the skills that, um, chisels your, your cheekbones and your nose. In terms of selfie, contour represents how you chisel your skills. And then highlight, it represents the law of attraction after you've chiseled your skills. So everyone's got skills and then, let's say I'm good at talking. I'm practicing how to talk and then I've been invited to speak. See, that's highlight. The law of attraction after I've chiseled the skill that I have. And then my eyeshadow, that's basically the personal vision I have for my life. In makeup, you can have smoky eye, you can have a golden eye. It sets the tone to the makeup look. In terms of your life, that is your personal vision. How do you see yourself? Where do you want to see your life being? And then we have our eyelashes that enhances your eyes. Highlight, eyelashes represent your personal network. 
personal growth, meaning the people that you surround yourself, they're gonna align you with your personal vision. And then finally, we have our lips. And lips is kind of got a matte lip or glossy lip, whatever lip you wanna have, that represents the things in which you say about yourself. Now imagine a young girl who's in school, yeah? And she's first encountering makeup. What she does every single time she's in front of the mirror, applying makeup, she's applying these principles too. There's nothing wrong with wearing makeup, but the reason as to why you're wearing makeup is now shifted. The narrative to makeup is shifting. You are advocating the importance of self-worth, self-identity, and self-image. Every single morning, girl, I'm foundational. I, I really believe in myself today. My eyebrows, I'm gonna think right today. And um, my concealer, I've got this issue and I'm dealing with it. My contour, I'm really good at singing. I'm gonna go to singing class. Every single day, you're instilling principles into these young females. So, regardless of what Instagram is doing, regardless of what social media is doing, they're sure of themselves. And when you're sure of yourselves, the world becomes your oyster. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. And that's what I do. I teach young girls how they want to see themselves through selfie.